We return this morning to the teaching of God's Word in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 17, the truth of Christ's resurrection. And we read the scriptures in the great chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll read the first 28 verses of that chapter and then the concluding part of the chapter. Reading God's Word in 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the, for I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now, if Christ be preached, that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is vain, is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and, author and all authority and power. For he must reign 
till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, for he hath put all things under his feet. And when he hath, and when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, who did put all things under him. When all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all and in all. Now we turn to verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption... And this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. God bless these words to our souls. We come this morning to Lord's Day 17 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You find that on page 10 in the back of your Psalter. Question and answer 45. What does the resurrection of Christ profit us? First, by his resurrection he has overcome death, that he might make us partakers of that righteousness which he has purchased for us by his death. Secondly, we are also by his power raised to a new life. And lastly, the resurrection of Christ is a sure pledge of our blessed resurrection. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we here in this congregation have been following the Apostles, the 12 Articles of the Apostles' Creed, as the summary of a true and saving faith, as a summary of the content of what faith believes. Specifically, in the last Sundays, we've been following Lord's Days 3, 4, and now this morning 5. We've been following what is called the humiliation of our Savior, and this morning, his wonderful exaltation. And those articles of his humiliation 
we followed him as the son of glory, as the Lord Jesus Christ descended into the valley of sin and death. We sing, down unto death thou leadest me, consumed by thirst and agony. God led him down from glory to a lowly manger. God led him down to bear the curse of sin for our souls so that we confess he was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. We followed the steps of his downward progression, each step but a platform for him to descend yet lower and lower for us till at last he descended to the lowest pit of hell where he bore for us in his inexpressible anguish and torments, he bore in our stead the penalty and the punishment for the sins to which we deserved. And we confessed in praise and glory that all of these sufferings are substitutionary. They are not for him. They are for us. And they are effectual. They are powerful. So that sin is canceled. Now this morning we come to what we call the first step in his exaltation. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. Apostles' Creed is following what we read in Philippians chapter 2. Perhaps you're familiar with the passage that Paul says, Jesus Christ humbled himself and became a servant. And he humbled himself even unto death, the death of the cross. And then he said, Wherefore God has also highly exalted him. He was silent for three days in the grave. He laid down his life on Calvary. Followed by silence. Hard days for the the disciples. But that still silence was broken. On Resurrection Sunday morning with the shout of everlasting victory, as we sang Sunday night, up from the grave he arose, a mighty victor o'er his foes. The Lord is risen. Now we're going to follow him in his steps of exaltation. That first step is the resurrection from the dead. And as we follow those steps of of, uh, exaltations in the Apostles' Creed, the coming Sundays, there are two things you should bear in mind. First is that each step in his exaltation is a stamp of God's approval upon his atoning work of the cross. It is God's divine seal of approval certifying that on the cross he did indeed make a payment for our sin and earn for us everlasting righteousness, that in God's sight, his work on the cross is accepted. But we should also see, as we follow these steps of exaltation, that in these steps, Jesus is also continuing the work of salvation for us. And we put it this way, in his humiliation, He earned and obtained salvation for us. In his exaltation, he applies 
that hard-won salvation. In his humiliation, he did all that was necessary for us in our behalf. In his exaltation, he works that salvation in us, the fruits of his cross. So that we say, with Jonah, salvation is of the Lord. Our salvation is of the Lord from eternity and God's planning of that salvation and choosing. Our salvation is of the Lord in its accomplishment in the life and death of Jesus. Our salvation is of the Lord in its giving to us, in its bestowing upon us, applying to us. And our salvation is of the Lord in its perfection. So that we say, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. This morning I call our attention to the blessings of the resurrection. And the catechism outlines those for us very simply and beautifully. The blessings are three. Partaker of his righteousness. Raised to a new life. Promised the resurrection of our body. The first blessing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day is that that resurrection was a proof of our pardon, of our forgiveness. It is the proof that today we are indeed in Christ righteous in the sight of God. Or as I've been saying, the resurrection is God's stamp of approval on the suffering and death of Christ on the cross and his declaration that through that cross our guilt and our punishment is destroyed. But we need to notice a moment a few things before we get into that first blessing. And we need to notice that our catechism is very eager to get into the blessings of the resurrection. That in the answer of the catechism, Lord's Day 17, the catechism does not talk about the fact of his resurrection. It does not mention the empty grave, the rolled away stone, the undisturbed grave clothes, the appearances of the Lord, but it simply says, it proceeds that all of this is fact. This is what has happened. It doesn't go into the facts. Nor does the catechism attempt to explain to us the nature of the raised body of Jesus Christ. It will do that a little bit in Lord's Day 22 when we confess the resurrection of the body, but the catechism doesn't get into the wonder of the resurrection body. But the catechism simply goes right into the benefits, into the profit of his resurrection. It asks us the question, what is, and asks each one of us, old and young, boy and girl, it asks us the question, what is the profit to you that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead? What's the benefit? It's almost like the proverbial child on Christmas morning, one thought on their mind to open up the presents. So also, the catechism wants to open up immediately the blessings of the resurrection. 
And we ask the question, well, why this haste? And the answer is because we're looking for our comfort. We're in a world of sin and death. We are dying right now in the body. We struggle against sin. Loved ones are dying. And our sins mount up against us, prevailing day by day. And so the catechism gets right at it and brings us the gospel. It doesn't squabble with unbelief about the facts of the resurrection. It does not speculate about the nature of the body of Christ, although that's important. But it says, if you're going to understand what it means that Jesus is risen from the dead, the first thing you need to think that when he arose, he sealed my pardon. By his resurrection, says the catechism, he has overcome death so that he might make us partakers of that righteousness which he purposed, purchased for us by his death on the cross. He has overcome death. Those words speak to us of a great battle and a great victory. Speaks to us of a battle against death. No son of Adam, no human person since Adam, and all the billions and perhaps trillions since then, has overcome death. Death, Romans chapter 5 reigns over man, over ourselves, of ourselves, and has reigned over every person born on this planet, every descendant of Adam and Eve, for the wages of sin is death. The world can say what it wants, but enthroned over this world, and all the works of man, death sits upon its throne and rules and has a hundred percent victory rate for who can redeem his soul from death and the grave. And we know that battle with death. And we know that that death will come to all of us and can come to us at any moment. And we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In its sorrows and griefs, they come to us. And death casts its shadow over us in this life. But in the resurrection of Christ, we proclaim that Christ has overcome death. I said last Sunday morning, he did not cheat death. He did not prolong the time for death to come, but he has destroyed death. He has overcome death. By his resurrection, he declares that death for himself and for all of his people has died. And so the scripture uses a figure of speech. Psalm 68, verse 18 Jesus, he, 
hath led captivity captive and given gifts unto men. And the picture there, boys and girls, the picture there is in in the ancient times of a king who went to war against his enemies and defeated his enemies and took the king of his enemies and put a rope around his neck or a chain around his neck and rode on his horse back into his capital city with that king in chains behind him. That which held us captive, death. He has brought death into captivity, into service for him. What held us captive, he conquered it, and he displays his power over it, and now he uses death for his own purpose. He has overcome our death. And how did he do that? He did it by taking away the sting of death, which is sin. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. When Adam sinned because of sin, death reigns. But death cannot reign when the sting of sin is taken away. Death, which is not just physical, but death of itself, would be a descent into the flames of eternal hell justly because of our sins. That death is overcome. And he's overcome because he took sin away and the punishment for sin. Where sin is pardoned, the grave has no power. Now we go to it in our bodies, but our souls go to heaven. And even our bodies, grave, is not going to destroy those bodies, but Christ is going to raise those bodies because he bore our sin. He arises as the one who has overcome death. Death held every soul in its hand. Woman, child, man. But not him. It was not possible for death to hold him. Acts 2 verse 24. And it could not hold him. Because he had paid for sin. And so, what's the blessing of his resurrection? Having overcome death by paying for sin. He now makes us partaker of his perfect righteousness purchased for us. For after a battle comes the spoils of victory. And the spoils of his victory over the grave is that is our justification. It's the proof that we have been forgiven and are righteous in the sight of God. If the tomb in which Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus laid him and which Pontius Pilate sealed with cement, if that tomb on resurrection morning 
was sealed. And his body was in that grave. That would be a declaration that his cross was a failure. That he did not take away all sin. That some sin remains. And if one sin remains, and if some some sin remains, death has power over you. It will take you not only to the earth, but it will cast you into hell. If one sin was not forgiven, but he's not there. The grave could not hold him. In the justice of God, the grave could not hold the human body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It could not condemn that body. It could not destroy that body. Why could it not do that? Because the Savior had paid for our sins. If he was not raised, God would be saying to us this morning, No, no, I still see sin. I see that the offering that he made on the cross was not complete. That sin is yet out there and unpaid. And if sin is out there, then death must hold you in the justice of God. But it can't hold you because Christ is risen from the dead. The tomb was empty. He is risen. He has sealed our pardon. So we read Romans chapter 4, verse 25. The words, familiar, I trust. Who was delivered. Christ was delivered, why? For our offenses. And was raised again, why? For our justification. The word there, the word for there in the text is on account of. Why was he delivered to death? In injustice? On account of our sins. Why was he raised From the dead, on account of our justification, because guilt and sin had been paid, he does not belong in that grave, but he arises. The same thing, Romans 8, verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Now note the words, yea, rather, what is more? Is there anything more than that he died? Yes. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who can condemn us? How do, how do you know? That your standing with God this morning is clear. How do you know? That when you come to die, your sins will not be held against you when you stand before him in death. What do you say as a child of God now when your conscience accuses you and the older you get, the more you need to say, I have grossly transgressed every commandment of God and I have not kept one of them. What do you say to your conscience? You say, Christ is risen from the dead. How do I know that I am at peace with God? 
And though he chooses to lead me through difficulties and sorrows and heartaches, and though in his wisdom and in my good he chastises me sore, how do I know that I'm at peace with him, that he does all things for my good? Jesus Christ, your Savior, who died upon the cross, is risen. He has defeated, he has destroyed the enemy, the punishment of sin. He has made us partaker of that righteousness that he purchased for us. Partaker, not observer, not simply intellectually and abstractly true. Jesus' resurrection is the seal of our justification. That's true. But he makes us partaker through faith that we know that the perfect righteousness and forgiveness of Christ is imputed to me so that in him we stand as if we never had nor had committed any sin. The proof that we are justified is a risen Savior if Christ is not risen. You are yet in your sins. But now is Christ risen bodily from the dead. From this benefit, the first benefit, the first blessing, we proceed to the next one. We open up another one immediately. The Catechism goes on, secondly, we are also by his power raised to a new life. So that the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Christ in our faith, not only assures us of our pardon, but now, and we must hear this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is also the power for us unto a new life. It assures us of our standing with God, our justification. But his resurrection is also the power of a life of sanctification. Wherever there is justification, there follows and must follow immediately sanctification. Sanctification which is the resurrected life of Christ implanted into our hearts through regeneration, a spiritual rebirth whereby the power of sin is broken. Not that we are in perfection, we still have the old man of sin, but now we are given the new life of Christ in the heart. That's a Christian. Life follows pardon. The convicted criminal who is pardoned of his sentence and guilt is free. He may return to life having forgiven our sins, now also by the power of his resurrected life, we are made new. We are risen with Christ from the dead. The tomb was empty. God raised him to newness of life. And that new life, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, we are born again out of that resurrection life of Christ, the seed of that imperishable life of Christ, is given by the Holy Spirit by grace to those who Christ has pardoned so that now we live in Him. 
Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Therefore, we are also buried with him in baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, if we were in Christ when he died to forgive, shall we not also be in the likeness of his resurrection? He did not only pardon sin, he purifies us by his new life. In Christ, we have that new man in an old nature. Our nature, our old nature, is depraved and dead and seeks to overcome us. And in our folly, we often succumb. And that old man deceives us. And that old man dogs our trail and interferes in everything that we are, and we struggle against us. But there's one thing that that old man does not do anymore. He does not reign. He does not so reign over us so that we say, yes, and I want sin, and I'm not concerned that I'm doing evil things. But that new man of Christ is the beginning, is the desire to walk in newness of life. Now our sanctification requires a living Savior. If anyone on earth, if the children of God on earth are to live a new life by grace, then Jesus Christ must be alive right now. And if he's not a living Savior, there will be no holy life on earth. Now follow me carefully, young people. This is the difference between Christianity and all other religions. This is the answer to, to your questions. Christ, the living Christ, risen, is in me and is the hope of glory. Follow. As Christians, we do not simply follow his teachings. Muslims follow the teaching of Muhammad, and Muhammad is dead. Mormons follow the teachings of Joseph Smith and his silver plates, an historical figure, and they try to follow him. And Joseph Smith is dead. We follow the teachings and the doctrines of Jesus Christ. But he lives. He lives within our hearts by that seed of his grace, of the new life. He takes up his place in our hearts. He infuses 
according to our canons. In us, a new will, new qualities, so that we desire to be like him. Not perfection, but a small beginning. But it is there. And that small beginning is the dominant desire of our hearts in Christ. We say with the Apostle Paul, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live by faith, I live, that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the point. The child of God is not a robot just following outward teachings. The child of God is not simply one who is enamored with the teachings of Jesus Christ. But the child of God is one in whom Christ, by his spirit and life, is living. And so that we say, by that grace, I love him, I obey him, I know him, I cry out to him, I mourn for my sin, I realize I can do nothing without him, I seek to please him in all that I do, I struggle with sin. That's the person risen in Christ. And is this blessing then also of the resurrection, also ours this morning by His grace, raised to a new life? This life of Christ of which we partake makes itself known to you When God implants that, you come to know that, to experience it. This life of Christ is not like renting a room in your basement to a young person who's come here to study, and you don't see that young person at all. Sometimes you wonder if he's there. He leaves at different hours, he makes no noise. You don't see him at all. He's asked you to bring his food and slip it under the door. You're not even aware if he's there. That's not the life of Christ. The life of Christ comes out of the basement and goes into the living room. You know it's there. It talks to you. It works in you. It makes you weep. It gives you to feel a pain that you could not have of yourself. It connects new nerves in your heart so that you have a pain over your sin. You don't just laugh when someone sins. Make a big joke about it. You don't simply ignore your sins. You don't try to evade your sins. This new life of Christ brings us to our knees to be conscious of this work of the risen Christ. This new life of Christ gives us heavenly desires so that we joy to sing His praises Friday night and to hear them. This new life of Christ loves the people of God. This new life of Christ cherishes the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
this new life of Christ hates sin. Wants to grow in that hatred. This new life of Christ engages in a battle against the old man. This new life of Christ makes Jesus precious. And gives us not just to say, but to know that having him, having Christ, there is in Christ. I do have everything. It causes us to submit to his will. When he leads us in darkness, troubles. This new life of Christ gives us to trust him. Even though to our eyes everything is wrong. This is the blessing of the resurrection. Christ lives in me. This life is progressive. Sanctification is progressive. Where there is life, there is growth not perfection. Growth in humility. Growth in trust. Growth in the need of Christ. The sun comes up here in Colorado. It keeps moving further as the summer comes. It shines more and more into deep canyons and crevices that for the whole winter have not seen the light. And that sun as it rises, pierces deeper and deeper and warms and melts the ice. So the work of grace, that light of Christ, rises, the risen Christ, and his light shines deeper and deeper into the recesses of our hearts, melts our hearts from its obstinacy and its pride and implants within us the beginning, the principles of obedience. It does not come in a day, this growth. It does not come in a year. It does not come in a decade. It does not come in a lifetime. That perfection awaits us in glory. But the question is, are you growing in Christ Jesus? Are you being conformed Day by day to his image, do you see this? Do you see that in your children, in the generation which is following? The new life of Christ comes with a confession. The new life of Christ gives us to confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus, and to believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead. The new life of Christ not only acknowledges and rejoices in the pardon of my sins, but it also confesses, by God's grace, I have a new life. A new life, Colossians 3, which seeks, is the beginning of seeking those things which are above not on the earth. We confess that this new life in us as children of God is not of ourselves. We did not reform ourselves. We did not make ourselves whole. 
We did not put that new man of Christ into our spiritual veins. We know that God did that and that God is our strength. We confess. We live in him. Perhaps the story is apocryphal. But the story is told of a Christian couple who finally went on a trip to the Holy Land and joined a tour guide to see all of the spots of the Bible. And the tour leader would often say when they came to a place, Jericho or other parts, first question would always be, have you been here before? On that tour, there were people who had been to the Holy Land a number of times and they'd raise their hand. The couple, this is their first visit. Finally, they came to where they think the cross was and to where they believe that possibly Joseph's tomb was. And the first question was again, have you been here before? And they both raised their hand. And the tour guide said to them, you haven't been to Jericho, and you haven't been to Bethsaida, Bethany, but you've been here? And they said, yes, we were here. 2,000 years ago, when he bore our sins, and when he arose in his life, he has imparted that life to us. We have been here before. That's our confession before the world. We belong to him. We've been forgiven. We desire to live in all we do unto him. That his name may be glorified in us. And then the third benefit of his resurrection is the blessed proof or pledge of our bodily resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ declares that also our bodies are going to be changed. And we need to go back to Lord's Day 1 where we said that our only comfort is that we belong body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And He's a complete Savior. He has not saved only our soul but he has also saved our body and he will make it one day like unto his most glorious body. And we need to understand that that new life of Christ implanted into our hearts is the pledge of our bodily resurrection. The Bible calls it the earnest, the down payment of our bodily resurrection. The bodies that we have dying And unless the Lord returns, we'll die and will rot in the grave. Those bodies will not be kept by the grave, but they will be raised. Though worms destroy this my body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. This is the blessing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning, we have the pledge of complete 
salvation. As was sung Friday night, no more pain, no more sin, no more disformity, no more paralysis, no more wheelchairs, no more multiple myeloma, no more bypass surgery, you won't need one there, no more sorrow, no more grief. No more paralyzed, no more pain, no more trials. But soul and body perfected in the presence of God. This is sure, for he is risen from the dead. What's the profit to you today that Jesus is risen? Do you open up the blessings? I am pardoned. The life of Christ is graciously given to me. I have complete victory over death and the grave. Therefore, go forth in his service and strong in his might. Amen. Once again, Heavenly Father, as we look into the treasures and mysteries of, thy, of our salvation, we confess that we have only stammered. We pray that thou wilt take the word and seal it to our hearts. Give to us comfort. Give to us hope. Give to us zeal. Give to us a desire of godliness. Give us to live in him and not in ourselves. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.